You're listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series on the Bridge the Gap Network. The live webinar series aims to promote, engage, and empower wellness directors and senior living executives to continue the conversations surrounding health and wellness in aging adults. Powered by Linked Senior. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is our last webinar of the year, and uh, we're excited about the content. It's super timely. We're excited to have you. Like Megan said, this is our Activity Strong uh, webinar, December 14th, and also this is our Executive Edition, where we focus on topics that are important to everyone, but also executives in the senior living industries, right? So if you are one of them, i.e. an administrator, an executive director, or anyone that is beyond, uh, or another department beyond activity and life enrichment, thank you for showing up. It shows that you, uh, you value resident engagement, you see importance of it, and, um, and you're helping us elevate the discussion just by being here. So I'm joined today by uh, a dear friend of mine called Eleanor, and we are going to be talking, she's going to be talking about and presenting on staff and resident engagement, the exponential value-driven partnership. Before I get started, I just want to remind everyone that Activity Strong is an initiative led by Link Senior in partnership with Activity Connection, NAP, and NCAP. And like Megan said, I am the CEO and co-founder of Link Senior. You know, we we at Link Senior believe that old people are cool. I think that Eleanor somewhere has a, a sticker that says old people, yeah, right there in the back which is a, uh, a, an initiative that we started seven years ago just to fight, um, anti, uh, to fight ageism in a healthy and fun way. And obviously, we started Activity Strong as the pandemic unfolded to you know, not only acknowledge the amazing work of you all, uh, Activity and Life Enrichment Professionals, but also to empower you and, and educate you. Super quick slide about Link Senior. We are a resident engagement platform for senior living. So we work with operators across uh, U.S. and Canada, across level of care. Uh, essentially, what we do is we help you do more and better engagement through different types of technology and education. And our work has been published in a peer-reviewed journal. Very proud of that. So today, um, we're going to talk about something that uh, I've always personally been very passionate about, which is staff and resident engagement, right? In activities, we know that our task, our job, our passion is around helping elders find purpose. But isn't there something so cool that happens when our staff themselves is engaged, right? And so Eleanor, who has tremendous experience, is going to help us understand how to quote-unquote unlock this partnership. And I thought that as a word of introduction, I maybe thought about reminding ourselves of what resident engagement is about. And really, it's about collaborating, right? It's about finding common ground with the elders that we serve to connect with them, right? And connecting is something important to us. We love it. That's why we show up at work. It's important to our staff. So the more we connect with the elder, the more successful we'll be ourselves in finding purpose, but also in helping our residents find them, their purpose as well. So with that, Again, a great pleasure to introduce Eleanor Alvarez. I mentioned uh, she's a friend of mine. She's actually a mentor of ours, uh, of mine, and um, she is the chief executive officer of Leaderstat and the Ganzo Suite, and she's joining us from uh, sunny Ohio, as you can see. Eleanor, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Charles. I'm really excited to be here today. 
um, and share with you maybe a couple of experiences that I've had along the way. Um, first off, just a little bit about my background, and, and you can see that I started LeaderStat uh, 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, um, to fill that need of interim administrators and interim directors of nursing that I saw across the country. Uh, when a skilled nursing facility or assisted living was in need of leadership on a short-term basis, they really need talented people who are there and able to step in. So I started Leadership based on that. Um, based in uh, around 2005, started moving into the acute care space and we placed travel nurses in hospitals. Then really a critical moment for us was 2019 when a couple of our clients were really struggling in the early days of the pandemic and said, you got to help us. We really need direct care staff. And so we shifted and started placing STNAs and LPNs and RNs in care facilities, both skilled and assisted living across the country. Um, so that when people had staff members out in quarantine, they had a reserve staff to call upon. Uh, it really was a crisis in the early days. I know all of you experienced that firsthand, but we didn't have PPE. You know, we were actually sending masks with people so that they were properly protected. You know, we didn't have testing. It, it was really a tough time. And I know all of you have gone through that. So Meterstout was, was really proud to be able to support facilities along the way. In addition to Leaderstat. Um, six years ago, I started an assisted living center that's 100% memory care, and it really helped me fulfill a dream that I had of caring for people with Alzheimer's and, and other types of dementia in a really unique and special way. These are individuals who need our love and care probably more than anybody else in the post-acute world, and I really believe in a special environment that's um, based on person-centered care in small houses. So basically this is, if you go on LinkedIn, this is the, the bio that you'll see about me. I've been in senior care since I was 25. Um, it's something that I feel very, very passionate about. Um, and I remember back in that time, we kept saying, the baby boomers are coming, the baby boomers are coming. Well, guess what? We're here now. And um, we still have lots of challenges along the way. So again, this is, this is kind of my formal bio, if you will, but I really want to tell you more about me and, and why I feel so passionate about what I do, and why I share the passion in the work that you do. Charles? Next slide. Thank you. So this is a really fuzzy, grainy picture, uh, but it is of the DC home for the incurables. So the DC Home for Incurables is downtown, I think it's on Massachusetts Avenue, right over the line in the district. And when I was in high school, um, I volunteered there every Wednesday afternoon. And it was a very institutional setting. Um, and it was almost scary um, the way we were providing care for people. And really it was for our elders, but if you said you were the home for the incurables, you got some kind of special federal funding. So every Wednesday, we, we little high school kids, we go in and say, you know, we wanna talk with you, we wanna meet with you and try to bring a little life and joy um, into the lives of the residents there. 
And it was really depressing, but out of that, I can still remember the story of an individual by the name of Roy, who was in you know, a typical hospital gown, a typical hospital bed, and he had pictures of being a speedboat driver. And he told all these stories about racing, being in a boat, and all the excitement and exhilaration of being this really speed demon-driven guy. And I saw him in his older body, but I realized that inside there's this incredible person with an incredible history and a story to be told. And our elders have this story that we all need to hear and we all need to connect to. They're part of our history, they're part of our legacy. And so Roy really helped me to find a path in life. I didn't quite know it yet, but he was really the foundation for me saying, you know, I think, I think this is what I care about. So Charles, next slide. So this is kind of a long story of how I got there. So I'm gonna like, spare you the details, but I found myself um, just a couple years out of college working in West Virginia in six really rural counties as a long-term care ombudsman. And a lot of times I don't tell people about this because I go, oh, ombudsman, you know, that's, we don't <laughs> like those people, you know? Um, but I, you know, kind of saw myself as the normal array of elder care and went into a lot of unlicensed personal care homes that were just horrific. Um, they were hair, people's homes that they almost converted and they just took people's social security checks. There was this opportunity because all of the state mental hospitals had been closed down. Uh, there was a federal mandate to put people in the least restrictive environment and it opened up all kinds of abuses for elder care. So I literally went in with state troopers and people from the health department to close down a facility uh, there was a home um, in the middle of August, and I lived in this old Victorian home for three days while we gave people baths, cleaned them up, helped them find nice clothes, and placed them in licensed facilities. I knew at that point that we had a much better way of caring for people, and we needed to find better ways of caring for people because our systems and processes that we had were not getting it done. And so when this doesn't show up on my official resume, this really is my why. It's, it touched me deeply. And I realized that if I was gonna change the world, world of elder care, I could do it by running one skilled nursing facility and running it right, doing the right things. Um, and so that one thing led to another, you know, that happens in your career. Um, and I operated in various facilities and, um, became a regional and worked for two very large companies for 20 years. And that's really the track you will see. But the voice that lives inside of me is the voice of connection and advocacy and improvement and providing the best level of care, um, not just physical care, but that emotional support that so many people need, especially in, in their elder years. So this is really my why. And I wish my resume were a picture of some of the people along the way instead of just data. So Charles, next slide. Okay, next slide. 
so I remember along the way talking to um, caregivers and, and saying, this is a hard job, you know? And you work really hard, not only physically, but emotionally. Why do you come back? And I had so many people say to me, you know, the first day was terrible. I walked out that door saying, I don't think, I'm never going back. That, you know, no way. I'd much rather be, you know, working at McDonald's than that. And then they, they kind of got home and they had this moment of, you know what? But there's that resident there I know who's counting on me to come back. And it was that personal connection that helped so many people say, I'm needed. This is important work. This is what I need to do. So let's go <laughs> to the next slide. Yeah. So um, one of the places that I really got, got to see the impact of significant relationships was at the Gansoin Suites, where we developed uh, memory care in four households. So each household has approximately 30 residents, dedicated staff, and everything is focused around the kitchen, living and dining room in the household. And it was amazing to me. I knew that we would have stronger relationships between residents and staff. But what I didn't understand was that in having the household kitchens and dining rooms, that it would bring our families together. And our staff developed so much stronger relationships with families and the families with one another. So when we have someone pass away, we normally have 10 family members at the funeral because of these incredibly dedicated relationships. During the pandemic, our turnover was less than 20%. And I really believe that a big part of that was the commitment and the dedication that came from these deeper relationships that happen in a smaller environment. Um, you know, lots of the studies have been done around the greenhouse and person-centered care um, about how you drive better outcomes. But we got to see that in real time. Um, so I know that relationships drive commitment and it's an important part of who we are in this field, much more than any other setting. So it's important that we love that and connect with it and continue it. So next slide, Charles. So some data, and I think a lot of you are living this, so it's probably information that's not surprising to you. Um, first up, some of this information is about all employers, not just healthcare. But we know right now that we've been in this incredible national work, workforce shortage. 53% of all employers report severe difficulty in finding and retaining workers. I mean, you know that. You drive down, you see Myers, you see Panera, everybody has job openings. 92% of all healthcare employers report moderate to severe difficulty. One of the things that's really impacting us is that 28% of all employers see more women leaving than, than men. And that's even more pronounced in healthcare. 58% or 53% of healthcare employers see more women leaving their jobs. There have been so many complications around childcare and navigating hybrid work situations and hybrid, hybrid school situations that's made it very difficult for, a lot, for our workforce.
workforce um, to continue their commitment. 60% of our of employers say employees are leaving for higher paying jobs. And we see that dramatically in our field. We know that it's so hard to compete with Amazon distribution center down the road. You have to get to that level of being able to compete economically. You have to be able to offer a decent rate of pay so that you can then focus on the, the commitment side. 58% of the people that responded to the survey said that many employees could make more money or as much money from unemployment benefits and childcare benefits than working. And I think all of you know this has had a tremendous impact on operating our centers. Okay, next slide. What is really interesting is that you see six different um, healthcare environments here. Um, outpatient care centers, home health care centers, nursing homes, uh, physician practices and hospitals and ALs. Every other area has bounced back from the decrease in employees, except nursing homes and assisted living. We are still struggling. We still have a, a tremendous amount of difficulty staffing our centers, even when home health is starting to bounce back, hospitals are starting to bounce back. So Charles, will you do our next slide for us? So according to this um, national data, basically, we have lost over 250,000 jobs in this sector. Um, and it's very hard for us now to refill that pipeline. We've always had challenges finding a committed, dedicated workforce, but now it's, it's even tougher. And I know all of you are living that and you see it. Okay, Charles, we're ready. Did you want this one? I did, thank you. So 86% of nursing homes and 77% of, if you don't mind going back one, Charles, be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, say that their workforce situation has gotten worse even in recent months. Many nursing homes have had to limit new additions. Many, 78% of the nursing homes and assisted living communities are concerned that workforce challenges may force them to close. At Leaderstep, we sent some CNAs and LPNs to um, so some facilities that I'm pretty sure they would have closed down if they had not had the additional support. They just did not um, have the reserves within the local community. Um, and I think, yes, of late, we've just got that resurgence of COVID coming back. I think we have a lot of people who just don't want to work in an environment where they feel like they've got a deadly virus. I mean, in the beginning, we have people who just said, I love it, but I don't want to put myself or my family at risk. Charles, will you go to the next one for me? And I think, I think what we've all found is that there really are no easy answers. This is such a complex problem. Um, a big part of it, I think, especially in skilled nursing, gets back to reimbursement. You know, there's so much pressure to increase wages. 
but you only have so much revenue to work with because of Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement limitations. Um, I think a lot of the states are trying to put more money back into the workforce and skilled nursing. I met with a senator this morning from Ohio um, who said that they had approved close to a billion dollars in workforce support money just for skilled nursing. It's problematic, though, because a lot of the money does not go to assisted living. So much more of it is earmarked towards Medicaid and Medicare providers. There is a movement to try to, to resolve some of the issues um, short term, but the long term issues are really huge. Um, HCA and Leading Age are both sponsoring a Care for Our Seniors Act, which is really interesting and has some good long-term solutions for workforce development. So I think while we know that there are some things that we can do, it's still a very complex problem. The best thing that we can do that we have control over is to create those opportunities to connect create those opportunities for our staff to know that they are needed, that they are doing meaningful and purposeful work, to help them reaffirm the why, the why they come to work every day and why it's important. Um, the more that we can inspire and motivate passion and meaningful work, the more we can hold on to our staff and help them see that what they do is one of the most important jobs out there. Charles, you ready to transition? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eleanor. So this was an amazing presentation background. I love to hear about your why, Eleanor. It's, it's, a, it's a great reminder sometimes to, for us to find our whys. And um, obviously, like you said many times, this is definitely not a quite a good easy situation. It's probably one of the worst ones that our industry ever um, experienced. You know, we, part of me when I hear you talk wonders how much of this kind of already existed, right? We know that it's difficult for us to compete against other industries because, and I have this slide here that says, may the age be with you from Yoda and Link Senior. Just as a reminder that, you know, we all fight against this idea of ageism, right? Can you talk a little bit about that, what you thought existed before in terms of what pros and cons we had and things that might be helping or not today? Well, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, you know, we have had the workforce issues before the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. There are many nurses that don't feel like they can, quote, put their clinical skills to the best use by working in a skilled nursing facility. Um, so, we, you know, we've, we've struggled with building committed workforce. Um, but it has become so much worse with the pandemic. I mean, it has become overwhelming. Um, I'm on a Facebook group with a lot of administrators, and I think they're almost like 5,000, maybe it's 3,000 administrators in this group, and their stories are heartbreaking. I mean, just the hours that they're working, directors of nursing, everyone in a facility is just pushed to the max. And I feel that it's hard. You know, one person only has so much to give. Um, so we have to find help and support and relief for these incredible individuals. But I think it was there before, but it's so much worse now. Yeah. Um, and 
I'm interested to hear from your perspective, Eleanor, as you work with leaders that, leaders that obviously you have many partners and clients throughout the country. So you might have also an understanding of some of the companies that might perform better, right? So you talked about culture, for example, you know, I comes to mind two operators, one in Canada called Schlegel Villages and another one in Denver, Colorado called Christian Living Communities where they for years have built this idea of um, having a culture of integrating elders of being very adamant about anti-ageism and so on. From your perspective, do you see such a big difference and if there is such a big difference, what are the main points that you see between people that are successful right now on this topic or not? So I, I agree with you. I think culture is huge, <clears throat> but you still have to offer competitive wages and benefits. Mm -hmm. If you are you know, $3 an hour below your local competition, even though you've got great culture, you're probably not gonna hold on to people. I mean, there's an economic reality that has to be met. Um, yep. But once you're there, people want to stay in an environment that has great culture and energy and commitment. Um, and we're in healthcare. It should feel like a kind, collaborative, loving place to be. That's that's what we want in this field. Um, so I think culture is really important. But it's so hard when everybody's, you know, in, in kind of a survival mode. But the people who are more successful, I think, one, maintain culture and respect and kindness and caring. And I think mm -hmm. you also need to get out in front of or react to issues with staffing more quickly. A lot of times we wait till it's really desperate before we start looking at interventions and solutions, the faster you react, the better it's gonna be. Um, you can't just post a job and pray. You've got to be much more um, progressive and proactive in reaching out and connecting with potentially new employees. Don't wait till it's a crisis. Right. And, you know, on, on one of my last, uh, next slide, sorry. I have one of my favorite quotes, which is that a musician must make music, an artist must paint, a, a poet must um, must write. If he is to be ultimately at peace with himself, what a man can be, he must be. And I, I personally love that uh, quote because it reminds us of often what we do in the field of senior living, which is to help our elders be who they must be. And I love your story of Roy um, that you shared earlier. And it's interesting, I don't know if you've been following, but in the chat, a number of people have made uh, discussions about the fact that culture is great, but it's definitely not the only thing that matters. Like you mentioned several times, uh, pay was really important. I mean, at this stage, you know, we're at the end of 2021, right? We're looking into 2022. I talk to operators, like, I'm sure like you do, like, some of them are really challenged in even figuring out their budget. I mean, part of me asks, where do we see the light? Um, any sense on that? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. So, and, and sometimes <laughs> okay. um, 
called Pollyanna, um, because I believe that the light is there. Um, Mm -hmm. We don't have a choice. We have so many elders in this country, and you know, obviously, it's not just a a problem for the U.S. But you know, our numbers of elders are growing, so we have to figure out a, a strategy for elder care in this country that is viable. And I know these long-term solutions sound like, well, you know, they're down the road. But if we don't start working on long-term solutions now, you know, we're still going to be five years down the road saying, oh, my gosh, we have these problems. Um, So I think part of it is getting commitment from your local and state governments to increase reimbursement. I mean, we have got to have a big voice to say caring for our elders is a national priority. And we've been trying to do this for a long time. Um, but it's more important now than ever that we've gone through the pandemic. So I think we have to work on scholarship programs, creating career paths. Um, in Ohio, we don't really use medication aids. Um, and it's an opportunity to give CNAs a career path. And so you know, we have the ability to help develop CNAs into medication needs to help grow LPNs and and create um, not just tuition reimbursement, but scholarship programs to create career paths. I mean, that's how we're going to fuel our workforce um, portal, if you will. We've just got to get creative. It's not going to get better unless we push hard and work hard. Thanks for these suggestions. And I Obviously, I'm a little bit like you. As an entrepreneur, I, I do tend to be optimistic. And I agree with you that in the end, I mean, it's, it's a good reminder to say that we, you know, sorry, Vera, I 100% love your idea that we don't have a choice. We need to fix it. And so thank you for suggesting these, um, these, um, these things that can be done. You know, in the chat, there's something that came up, and uh, I think it's a very important aspect as well. You know, my, my wife is a teacher, so there is a little bit of that in quote unquote, the teaching world. And it's actually a comment from Joanne uh, Kulinan that says that culture is important, but the fact that this is a female-dominated field shows that the, the culture does not value our contribution or the life of elders. So I think that, you know, the question here is also about gender dominance uh, and so on. Can you talk a little bit about what do you, how much do you think that weighs into some of these care paths to be less valued or less uh, dignified? You know, and I, I agree with you, um, Charles, and the person who made the comment. I find this fascinating that we are such a female-dominated um, field. You know, most nursing facilities, assisted living, you know, probably 90, 95%, right, at, at the center level. But as you start to go up the chain of command in lots of large organizations, that starts to flip. And one of the things that I think we need to do is, and you probably weren't expecting this, but is to get more women at the table where decisions are made about resources, money, things we care about that will change the path of care. Um, I really think that we have a commitment as caregivers and women, and all of us as caregivers, regardless of our gender, um, to make sure that we are living those values and, and the correct values. Um, we are here to care for people. And 
some of the um, some of the issues that we've gotten into with publicly traded REITs operating facilities has, has really changed that dynamic. Yeah. I, I do want to go further in that topic because I personally feel very strong about it. You know, we, um, I'm sure that you've gone to this, um, some of the conferences where you meet capital partners, you know, the owners and operators. And I agree with you, like Frontline, uh, very female dominated, but when you go to that level of the organizations, it's quite the opposite. Sometimes you have room um, with, with just not enough women. That's a problem, right? That's a big problem. And so I know that, you know, you have experience in the industry. I'm curious to hear in the past five years, have you seen a change? And for the organization that have made the change, anything you could talk about how they accomplished that? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that I really see a change, have seen a change in the last five years. But okay. um, six years ago, when I was going out to raise the capital for my assisted living center, mm-hmm. um, my CFO, um, really smart guy, I mean, and I, get, I get it, but most of the time, you know, after about the first five minutes of conversation, everybody was talking to him and they were, you know, they were ignoring me. It, yeah. Trying to raise capital is very, very difficult. I knew that if I was going to start a facility, I wanted to own the real estate. I didn't want to be beholden to somebody that I was leasing it from because I knew I wouldn't be able to make the right decisions to provide the right kind of care. Um, But trying to get capital, trying to develop facilities is very difficult. You will not see a lot of women who are actual owners. Um, and I think we have to help um, make those make those opportunities available to women and other minorities, um, so that there can be more people sitting at the table and more diversity. Yeah. And I hope that everybody here in the audience potentially sees themselves well, sees the example in Eleanor, uh, who's successfully done that. So, so thank you very much, Eleanor, for being an example of that. Uh, success. Um, one of the other topics that we wanted to, that I, I would love to just discuss with you is, you know, when we, so we at Link Senior, obviously, we're very passionate about resident engagement. I started the company to help elevate this. And this is a slide that we've used for some time now that basically explains why sometimes it's almost impossible. Therefore, we should look into technology, right? And um, And yesterday, I was talking to someone who um, just before COVID had been in a hotel and ordered something and it was a robot that came to deliver the item that was requested, right? That was just before COVID. And she was making a point that, you know, our industry is, is, is late to the game when it comes to innovation, but there is also a lot of staff efficiency. Right? We do, definitely don't want to replace staff, but there is an element of uh, making investment that help our staff do more. I'm wondering if you're seeing any trends or what your thoughts are on that, which is basically innovating part of our way out of the situation here. Yeah, Charles, I think that is just such, it's such a fascinating topic because there's so much of the hands-on care, you know, that you can't automate. Um, But when you look at resident engagement, 
there's so much that we can do to use technology to help tell the story about a resident. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody uh, at our at the Gansar and Sweeney, it's about how, you know, if if we could hear the story about people that we hear at their eulogies, if you hear it in the very beginnings, you really understand who that people that person is and what they care about, we could be so much more effective. Technology does a great job of capturing the stories and the pictures and the sounds and who somebody is and also what they enjoy. Um, so I think technology can go a long way in mm -hmm. keeping people connected and engaged and residents connected with um, the outside world and family, et cetera, but also staff getting to know residents in a deeper way. I think the other thing that is really fascinating in our world of really advancing technology is that in a memory care center, it's very hard to find super good technology to keep, pe keep people safe without restricting them. You know, the mm -hmm. our goal is to keep people as safe as possible, but allow them maximum freedom. And the technology is still really not being designed for our setting. And there's a lot mm -hmm. that can be done to help uh, predict and prevent falls. And, and we have to keep moving down that path so that we can have support from technology because it can't always be people. Last kind of slide, and after that I can stop sharing my screen. You know, we are obviously, you know me a little bit, I'm very passionate about engagement and, and making sure that our elders find purpose every day. You know, I think I always like to refer about refer the field of activities of res engagement as, I mean, basically it's a human right, right? And, and uh, I want to thank you again for sharing your story of what you experienced in West Virginia when you discovered these homes where basically they were, they were meant to be closed in the first place. Yeah, it, it was When really you meet, yeah, go ahead. It was really, um, it was really concerning. And I think, you know, the, where I really got kind of disappointed was after we closed this one home and mm -hmm. successfully placed all these individuals in safe environments, I went to the Department of Health and I said, that's great. Oh, we've got four more that we need to close. And the guy looked at me and said, if you think that we can put on these people in licensed facilities, you're politically naive. I was like, well, this is a dumb job. <laughs> what am I doing? And that's when I knew that, you know, if you make, if you can make a difference, you can do it in one center. Um, whether you're an administrator or you're the director of nursing or you are that um, in resident engagement person, you can make life better for individuals. And, and that's where we have to start. It's just got to be one person at a time. We can't Sadly, I finally figured out in my advanced age, now I can't really change the world. I thought I could, but um, I know the best that I can do is one relationship at a time, try to move it forward. And that, and that, you know, at the end of the day, then we go home and we say, you know what, it was a hard day, but I did something really important and I'm proud of who I am and what I was able to accomplish for somebody else.
Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing this. I would argue quite the opposite. You are changing the world, right? I mean, it's. I mean, you've contributed to something that's better today for sure. And just I, I hope that some of the audience member definitely hear what you say and and soak it in really because I find some of your stories admirable and your work at the Ganzo Suite. Uh, I know is is really um, some of some of the best uh, experience that our elders deserve there. Um, I'd like to kind of switch gear a little bit here and, and uh, you know take this opportunity. We have I think right now 319 professionals in front of us, Eleanor. Your experience at Leaderstat, if you were to help uh, these professionals, like in January and February, think about what's the top three things they can do right now to help. Um, let's start with helping their the team members continue to find purpose, right? This idea of the why and all of that. Any bits of advice you can share with them about doing that? Oh, so first let me just say, none of this is easy, okay? And there are so many reasons yeah. why we can't do a lot of this, but um, we have found at the Ganser and Suites that um, we've extended our orientation and onboarding. Mm -hmm. so that it is four to five days. And we make sure that people don't sit in a room all day long, like with PowerPoint slides going in front of them. So, you know, there's onboarding and then you'll learn about, okay, we're gonna learn about activities, daily living or dining, et cetera. And, and so there'll be an hour of teaching, but then we spend two hours going out in the household and actually practicing those skills. So I think the more in your original training that you can blend um, classroom training with hands-on training, the better yeah. your staff will connect. Um, any of us, if you sit in a room for three days and just have somebody talk at you, will be brain dead. Um, and it doesn't help to set the tone of engagement from the very beginning. So I really encourage you to look at your orientation and training programs. Now that's easy to say, and I know when you're, you know, in a terrible staffing crisis, the first thing you want to do is try to get people, you know, on the floor on their assignments as fast as you can. But if you can try to resist and train people better, and I mean in a more experiential, qualitative way, I think your long-term connections, relationships, and therefore retention will be better. So I really encourage you to to look at some of your training and how. You bring people into your your center um, because you should be, you know, living those values, living everything you care about. Um, it's a, it's a very important time. I would also encourage you that if you have people in orientation and they're just not getting it, I mean, you can tell they're bored, they're on the phone. Say goodbye early. Don't don't wait. Uh, if people don't share your values and, and really believe what you believe in. Don't bring them into your into your your home, your family. So I think um, looking at your training and orientation is really important. Um, Charles, you talk about technology and communication. One of the ways we can communicate with our staff so much better now. We have so many ways through um, text messaging, Facebook groups. You know, stay engaged. Stay engaged with topics that are important to them. Um, this is a really stressful time for so many people. It's been really tough. 
look at messaging around uh, support and mental health and getting a break, balancing family and your really demanding job and communicate frequently, you know, that support that you have for your staff, make them feel cared about. Um, it, it, we have so many more tools now. It, it's pretty exciting, really, um, to keep that connection going. Um, yeah. And then involve your families too. Sorry, Charles. No, no, no. You, you, I think, sorry, because I had an idea. Um, let's go back to the family in just a second. But, you know, you, you mentioned very quickly um, th this concept of self-care, right? And, and um Generally speaking, I think that in the industry, we're not great at helping our team members, you know, take care of themselves. I mean, I know from a fact of talking to, you know, hundreds of activity directors, like activity directors tend to be, you know, extremely passionate, extremely like go, 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 go. Plus, it's a, it's a discipline where we're with residents, we're with people. So we need, you, it's like a switch, you're kind of on and you can't really be semi on. It's, 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 it's exhausting. Um, tell us about self-care and what you see as good practice as well. Oh, it's um, it's so complicated, right? Because self-care for every individual is diff different, right? Um, you know, what I need in terms of emotional support is going to be really different than what you need. And I think that is getting to know your staff and getting to know their signs of when they're really stressed out and providing them with that ability to have somebody to talk to, have support, look at resources. Um, we provide a list of, you know, all kinds of counseling resources and resources for food, et cetera. Um, just trying to make sure that you've got um, emotional support and resources there for each individual where they are. And um, we have Joan, I think, who's making another great comment about me saying on. He's saying that what if we were real with our resident instead of on, which actually I, I love. Thank you so much for sharing this. Um, I mean, I'll say what I think. I think that if we can be real and we know with our residents, that is a fantastic opportunity. Uh, what do you think, Eleanor? You know, I agree. And um, I think that activities and engagement professionals are under so much pressure. Um, you know, the, the number of people that are assigned to your care is yep. a huge number. I mean, yep. to try to meet the psychosocial and emotional needs of a huge number of people is very challenging. And I know you have to reach people at, at different cognitive levels, different emotional levels, and I know that's got to be incredibly draining. And you probably go home at the end of the day realizing that you know you felt like a lot of things didn't get done. I think it's really important that you give what you have to give. You give your best self. But when you leave at the end of the day, you have to say, I did everything that I can do and don't beat yourself up for what you didn't do. It's got to be really hard, especially now and with all the short staffing. I think a lot is expected of you to kind of fill in all those gaps. And again, you can only do so much. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, somebody had a previous question. 
And in some of the topics that we just discussed, especially like the challenges, do you see differences, like big differences across level of care or types of product? I mean, what do you see there actually? Tell us the story there. Oh, I, I think there are tremendous differences. And I, and I think, you know, obviously I have a bias towards Alzheimer's and dementia care. Um, and I think it is incredibly demanding care um, yep. because you not only have the, the emotional and behavioral issues, you still have people that have very complex clinical issues. And a lot of times people with dementia are put, you know, in a secured unit where they're safe but not always stimulated or, or able to really um, reach their, their maximum potential. So I think one of the more challenging environments is the dementia world. Um, but those breakthrough moments are really precious. You know, when you can see the light and hear a voice that hadn't been heard before, I mean, that should make you feel like you've, you've done something very special. Um, we had one resident that, hadn't said his wife's name in 18 months. And just because of the more freedom, you know, environment that we have, he said her, her name for the first time. And, um, you know, those are the moments that we live for. I think that is really different than some of the intense clinical care of skilled, um, which is a yeah. whole different type of challenge, um, but it's all, it's all tough. Yeah. You know, you know, one thing, um, that we feel very passionate about is how we elevate and champion activities because, I mean, that is often kind of the fabric of a community, right? That is kind of the, um, the life. And um, we had a speaker a month ago. I asked her because I knew her community. When you walk into her community, it's a nonprofit here in D.C., you know, sometimes you feel it in the air. It's just a different community. There's a sense of quote unquote community, right? It feels good, there's a positive energy, there's a good vibe and so on. And she was making a point about the fact that it's often, um, you know, the fact that the activity program, the life enrichment is done well, but also the fact that this true interdisciplinary work, right? This true collaboration amongst departments. And so we, you know, we, we love this idea of having activities as quote-unquote CEOs, you know, chief engagement officers. So you and I are actually CEOs of our organizations. But there's something to be said about two things, which is one, elevating that engagement, and also that engagement person is the leader for the rest of the organization and kind of helps other team members, other departments enable that success. And I'm sure that when there is staffing issues, the fact that some of our team members can take on other responsibilities or collaborate better is a huge plus. Um, we love your comments on this. I know I've covered quite a few things here, but mainly the interdisciplinary teamwork. Quick thoughts on that before we wrap up. Um, very quick. First up, I love the comment, um, activity professionals are the glue bridging the gap of physical care and mental and emotional care. Very important. And, I mean, I think that really summarizes it in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, I think a lot of times you are our voice, our conscience, if you will, of saying, we can do this better. We can do this a different way. Um, and I think a lot of times you're called upon to be that intervention for 
you know, falling for weight loss. You were, you know, you were like the magic solution on the care plan. And we do count on you in so many ways because it, it is that exact glue um, that this, the person in the chat is talking about. You bring us all together in some really important ways uh, to connect the physical care and the emotional care. And not just for that resident, but for their families too. So there's one, one other thing I'm going to throw in, it's a little bit off topic, but it's one of those things yeah. that one of my crazy, crazy little missions in life. I think it's, I think it's really important that we all stop calling our profession an industry. It, it, you know, when we talk about post-acute as an industry, yeah. it sounds like manufacturing. It sounds like a warehouse. And I think as we elevate ourselves, we have to remember we're not in an industry, we're in a profession and we're in a healthcare field that is super important. So I'm just going to toss that out to the group. <laughs> you can't do this at the last minute because then I want to ask questions, but <laughs> now I get your point. I think I do get it. It's okay. I guess it's yeah. another discussion in the future. No, but I do love the idea of, you know, industry sounds I mean, everything you just said, warehousing, the manufacturing piece, and I love this concept of flip, flipping around because it actually let, elevates all of us around the world of profession. Language um, Word matters. Yeah. Word definitely matters. Hey, Elena, this was amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your leadership. Um, I mean, personally, and I'm sure that the audience feels it, your passion is just, it's just there. It's, 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 so warming and so empowering and so inspiring. So um, yeah, thank you for who you are and, and what you continue to do for for all of us and for for our not industry but for the, for our profession. Yeah, thank you. And Charles, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you for the Anytime. opportunity. I love being with you. Anytime, Elena. Um, everyone, I. Um, I just wanted to share very quickly our contact. So, Eleanor, I hope that's okay with you. If people have further questions, yeah, thumbs up. If people have further questions, please feel free to reach out to Eleanor. Um, you know, wonderful leader, wonderful mentor, source of inspiration, again, through her staffing company, but also operating herself, memory care communities. Lots of experience there, and I'm sure, I hope a lot of you uh, learned a lot today. So thank you for that. And actually, going further, Eleanor and her team also helped us build uh, something really cool, and that's for you to kind of share with you and your team uh, when you go back to work tomorrow, next week. And these are 10 tips to kind of um, put into play, put into action some of the topics that we discussed today. So we'll share with you the link, I think, in the chat and in the upcoming conversations uh, through emails. But Eleanor, I want to thank you again for being here today and also thanking uh, for helping us put together this, this really cool uh, tip sheet. Um, with that, just a couple of reminders uh, of upcoming events. We uh, obviously are continuing our, our activities strong and webinar uh, programs. Uh, the next one is going to be with somebody who clearly needs a sunscreen, and his name's Charles, and that's me. Um, I, like every year, is, I'm going to have a... Uh, a kind of state of resident engagement. And so obviously we're starting 2022 on January 4th. Uh, everyone's welcome. Love to share my thoughts on what's going on in the industry, where we see things going. And it's going to be a, um, a, uh, a balance of a really hard data, really understanding where we are, 
and hopefully a lot of very easy to implement uh, things to help us elevate engagement. Tuesday, January 18th, we are honored and excited to have Dr. Kemp um, and Gary Johnson come and discuss uh, uh, the ultimate person-centered approach to leadership development, staff engagement, and dementia care. And obviously, they are leaders in the field of Montessori and, and dementia and, and senior living. And then, quick reminders, we have our validation, the first annual Congress, January 15th. We have made a very recent change to our Activities Strong website, and I just want to share with you that if you go under Events, I'm sharing my computer screen here, we are building here the schedule for the whole year. So if you want to book in advance, events as far as actually next year, believe it or not, some people do December 6th, feel free to, uh, to register. All of our webinars are uh, free, we provide CEUs, and it's just an honor uh, to be able to welcome speakers like today's, I don't know, but also uh, help uh, acknowledge, educate, and empower uh, this, this amazing profession. Uh, happy holidays to all of you, uh, from my team, my family, from me, and I'm sure from you also, Eleanor. Thank you for all that you do every day. You are essential, and, uh, and it's just fantastic to be able to support you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Activity Strong Executive Edition series powered by Linked Senior. Find more resources and webinar information at btgvoice.com.